You're listening to episode 140 of the Tennis Files podcast. World-class double strategy with Louis Caillé. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe. More than just a tennis shoe, it's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a fantastic interview on double strategy with Louis Caillet. And actually a pretty funny story with Louis. I It's a little bit embarrassing to admit, but so last year I secured Louis for uh, an appearance on the Tennis Summit last year. And what had happened was I normally have guests reserve their time slots through a program called Calendly, which actually includes like a, an automatic time zone conversion. So if I'm looking at, you know, if I send a link to Louis to book a time, he'll see it in, in London time, where, wherever he's at. And I know London time, maybe that's not the official um, terminology. But anyways, you know, it converts time. But we arranged the interview without that. And so what happened was... <laughs> I had mistakenly booked in my own Google Calendar manually that my time here in the in the East Coast of the United States was five hours ahead of London time, when in fact uh, we're actually five hours behind London time. So it was just so brutal. Uh, I think L- Louis <laughs> emailed me at like five in the morning my time and uh, asking where I was, and I felt so bad, but. Uh, This time, I made a thousand percent sure to (laughs) make the correct conversions and everything. And so what's interesting with this particular podcast episode is that I'm actually taking uh, this interview, uh, this actually, I would call it a masterclass on double strategy that we did for this year's Tennis Summit, which is now open for registration, and you should check it out at TennisFilesSummit.com. And what I did was I took some of that uh, masterclass and converted it into a podcast just because I was so excited when I did it, uh, did this masterclass with with Louis, uh, just the great information. He's just an amazing coach. And I guess if you don't know about Louis, um, Louis is widely known as the world's preeminent doubles coach. He's been a coach and mentor to six number one ranked doubles specialists, including Jamie Murray and 26 who have reached the ATP Top 50. He's also coached both Great Britain and Canada's Davis Cup teams, and Louis currently works with the Lawn and Tennis Association. So that's a pretty brief and concise summary of Louis's accomplishments, but he's just a well-sought-after and fantastic coach. And uh, so, like again, if you want to check out the full interview slash masterclass with Louis, uh, you should definitely go to tennisfallsummit.com to register for free. So, and you can watch 
uh, Louie and all the other amazing coaches, their their online uh, tennis lessons or on-court lessons, point analysis, uh, presentations, and so forth. Uh, all of those you can watch. Uh, you can sign up for free and watch for free. And, you know, there's also like a, a lifetime access component if you want to upgrade to that. But in any case, uh, I want to bring you this really excellent interview and with some so certain concepts that were eye-opening for me. And I think they'll be really eye-opening for you. So uh, really happy to bring this interview for you on the podcast. So without further ado, here it is. One thing that you said about your doubles philosophy is that it's less about winning points and more about making your opponents make mistakes. So I was wondering if you could speak to that and especially with a view for maybe the competitive amateur tennis players who it's probably even more important for. Okay, first thing, when you compete, you have to be in what we call a peak performance state. Otherwise, if you're not a good performer, whatever you know how to hit the ball or how to play is a bit useless. So what we want to do is affect the performer side of the opponent. How do we do that? We try to create anxiety and make them like just a bit uncertain and so they could rush the strokes. How we do that? We do that through a positioning where we force them to go for low percentage shot. We move a lot. We create a lot of uncertainty with poach, no poach, both when serving, when returning. We mix up a lot of serve brief. We try to be as unpredictable as possible and create a lot of motion, a lot of movement, and force them to go for getting harder, low percentage shots. And then we hope that they get a bit upset about that, that they miss a bit angry. And then when they reach that point and they cannot stay calm enough to focus properly and be in a peak performance state, then uh, the players will lose. So obviously we win by doing that, but the point was to make the players feel they don't have to make aces, they don't have to return winners, they don't have to do anything exceptional, just good, solid, basic doubles play, and that should be enough to win many matches. Yeah, I really love that philosophy, Louis, and I've used that too in my uh, USC League doubles matches at you know 5-0 level, uh, using I-formation and Australian sometimes, and, and just making the returner feel uncertain. But I was wondering, because I know we have a lot of people who are like maybe at the 3035 level even, like what is the first step that you would take, like the first strategy that you might want to uh, put in place as maybe like a intermediate type of 3-5 player or so uh, to, to just start causing these types of uncertainties with, uh, with your opponents? Okay, first, I would not start right away with the uncertainty necessarily if I start with 3.5. I start to be sure that they serve from the right place. And many 3.5 serve close to the tram line because their coach say mm. their return will come there. But because they are there, they cannot serve on the back end, cannot serve T-serve, and it always goes in the forehand. The ball comes quite hard. And they can also beat their partner at the net. So I start to make them serve a bit closer to the middle, like almost in singles. And as soon as, soon as they serve on the T, then they push themselves toward the tram lines uh, on the do side. On the outside, it's okay if they serve a bit wider. So I start to be sure that the server, receiver's partner, server's partner, and, and everybody, in fact, are nowhere to start. And because it's not always the case, there will be time where server's partner is like, it's almost in the tram line. So it's a bit useless, especially if the ball goes on the back end. So I try to get, the first step is to, what are your position? And what is the first movement you do after that? Then when that is quite established, then we start to teach about more variation, movement, 
because if they are the right place, it's easier to poach. If they're not at the right place, it's very difficult to poach. So I tried to show them all the basics really on that. And uh, especially at 3.5, I teach them like basic rhythm, which is uh, the shot has to start to feel it start when you touch a ball, because very often they bond the ball, they hit, they slap. So if I bring good consistency and great positioning and movement to start with, they will be very, they will do very, very well at 3.5. Then after that, we're going to increase that. And But again, before I make them like 3.5, do eye formation, mix up these guys and uh, cheat positioning, <laughs> I will do after that, be sure they understand how to deal with different specific type of opponents. So what do they do when someone loves a lot? What do they do when someone do this? What do you do when someone stay back? What do you do when someone comes in? So we'll cover that. So themselves, they don't experience anxiety because one of the strongest belief I developed in the players that I work with is whatever happened, you can handle it. So I will deal with that quite a lot. So before they stress people, I want to be sure they're not stressed. <laughs> so that uh, whatever happened, uh, people, it's hard. Okay, if they do this, whatever it is, we're going to cover that. And after they really know how to handle anybody in front of them and how to make the proper high percentage play and be steady and deal with everything, then we're going to tackle how to make people more annoyed and upset and stuff like this. So that's it. I go and have very, uh, even with the pros, I have several steps that I go first, like a little progression. And if they have already like the first step, then we go quick to the second. But if they don't have the first step, second step, third step, but then I get sure that they have that in orders. Thanks, Louis. That's a really comprehensive uh, summary of, of how to go about it. I really appreciate it. And I guess there's one maybe like very specific question, but I see a lot of uh, times in the 3-5 and, and maybe even 4-0 doubles, uh, a lot of lobbing. And you just mentioned like dealing with lobs. I was just curious, like generally, you know, if you're playing a team that is just lobbing the whole time and it's giving you a lot of trouble, the net – your net partner is not able to do anything up there. Like what types of adjustments do you like the, these players to make? Okay. Uh, now, yes, at that level, there's a lot of love, but you will see very often is the do side player that loves a lot because the do side player is the one that loves where the server has to move to the back end. If they serve in volley to their back end smash or if they stay back in their back end. So you will see much more the do side player loving than the outside. But at the pro level, now it has been pretty much like this. I remember in 1990, I was doing conference on power doubles, and there was no lob. And now, I think two years ago, the player I coach, J.B. Murray, did 232 lobs on return of first serve, and he won 33%, which is a target. Because if you win 33% on return of first serve, that means the server just won 67% on his first serve, so which is a great, uh, great percentage. So what do we do at the pro level and at the 4.0 level? For me, it's quite, uh, quite the same thing. One, you say to the net player, don't close the net because they always love. What's the point? Be closer to the, what we call the wall position, which is midway between the net and the service line. And just be ready to take the smash. And me, I'm going to run very quickly to the net if I serve and volley. Because those who love a lot are not powerful players. So what they do, they they do angle the return or they love. So I'm going to run quick to take the angle. And also, if I serve in volley, I will do a lot of poaching because these people don't hit hard. So my friend at the net is not afraid to get hit by the ball. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come hard. 
and me, if I switch, I will have an easier smash to do. But if I serve and stay back, I will order also a lot of uh, switch because then I will cross and I will be able to use my forehand with the next ball quite hard. At the 4.0, 4 they still can do that, especially if they don't have the mentality to always serve close to the tram line in doubles. If they serve more like in singles, or they could even do the eye formation to have less running to do, and then they can move to their back and side and uh, be sure they use their forehand and then hit the ball quite hard. And uh, that's it. So there's that much we can do. We cannot stop someone of loving, but we can serve in a way that we make his love a bit more difficult. So, for example, if you plan do side and I serve wide, your love will have maybe a tendency to go a bit toward the middle, which could be easier to handle. But if I serve T, you may bunt your back end that will go toward the trend line down the line. So I may have more to run. So you can uh, serve smart, like serve jump for in or T to have a kind of an easier love to deal with. But like I say, you cannot uh, stop people to do something. So you have to find what is the best way. If your partner has a good smash, they don't close the net and they take it. If your partner is awful with the smash, then it's good to ask for frequent poaches to set up your forehand. Excellent stuff. We appreciate it again. And so one thing that you mentioned a couple of times is that you mentioned the phrase serve and stay back. And uh, I know, and I've been watching the, your video with Jamie Murray, uh, you talk about, you both talk about how the game has evolved so that now players are actually serving and staying back. And I actually remember myself one time I was live streaming a uh, practice of mine. And then there were a couple of coaches in there saying, come on, like serve and volley, serve and volley. Uh, and obviously it's like a great strategy, but I was wondering if you could talk about, uh, you know, whether it's okay to actually serve and stay back and maybe, you know, what situations would be best for that? Yeah, I think right now, because I, I'm doing conference on doubles since 1987. So I've done a lot of topic. And lately my topic is the professional doubles now is the best for the club members. Why is it the best? At least 95% of the women serve and stay back on the pro tour. And now 50% of the men serve and stay back. So that's quite a lot. So if, uh, and in the past, if uh, players would have stayed back, you say, yeah, I play doubles, but not proper doubles, I stay back. Right. Now, like a uh, British, like Callanman, he said, do you play double? Yeah, I play double. I serve, stay back and smack my forehand. So it is a way of playing doubles now. It's not like it's, uh, you're not marginal. There's one on twos to do that. So therefore, servant volley, servant stay back. Some even servant volley in the first, servant stay back on the second. Pretty much everything goes on now. Everything goes on. And uh, yeah, so I think if I was a club member and like myself now, my knees hurt and all this, if someone forced me to serve in the volley, I would not really appreciate that. So I'm pretty happy to serve and stay back and play from there. Great stuff, Louis. And, and if, if you're the server and you're serving uh, and you're staying back, would you rather have your partner still be up at the net or, or back, and then I guess let's assume maybe this is like, you know, 4-0-ish, 4-0-4-5 level. But right now, the age I am, I could not say I'm in the top, top, top level. So if I serve in volley, I would be really concerned now that my friend gets loved because I think he would not cover the love well and me if I have to stop my running, chase the ball back on my back inside, because like I say, I will refer more often on the do side because I think most of the love are done from do side. 
<clears throat> I really don't like it. But if I serve and stay back, my partner has a complete permission to be as close as he or she wants to the net to put the ball away if it's not a lob. So my point is, if I serve and stay back, the lob, it becomes less a problem than if I serve and volley. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks, Louis. So then as far as the, um, when you have a partner who, who is at the net, I mean, at what points in the match would you want to actually you say, okay, let's start using the I formation. Let's start using Australian. Let's start poaching. Like, do you, do you use it immediately or do you, do you wait a little bit and feel it out? And like, uh, just talk through us uh, through that for us, if you don't mind. Okay. First of all, a double seam of a game style, like a singles player have a game style. So some players, part of their game style, they do the R formation almost all the time, from first point to the last point. There's some team that will do I formation like 95% of the time. So in that case, these guys, it's not a question. They say that's the way I play. Some other guys don't like to do the R formation. So they will do it for a few reasons. One, uh, on the do side, they want to serve more like T, more right on the back end. So if they do the eye formation, it makes the server serves on the back end much better, especially the second serve, because some players are good to run around their back end on return. That's make their foreign. Or we will do it on the ad side, because if I serve and stay back and the person returned the ball hard cross court, it goes on my back end, and I may not like that. So I will do the eye formation to force people to put the ball down the line and I don't care that they know, and I don't care that, you know, the sentence that they know that we know that they know we're going to hit line because I want to move on my foreign. So we can do that to remove like a good return. Or sometime we'll do eye formation. Uh, let's say I serve in volley, and you're the receiver's partner in front of me, and you put a lot of pressure, even poach my volley, etc. So you're becoming very annoying for me. So I will do the eye formation. I'll poach, and again, I don't care that you know. So I move and I will volley with nobody in front of me because we have decided to poach. Now you may say, why you don't poach then and make it more uncertain? Because when you do the eye formation, you save like a, maybe two meters of running because you serve close to the middle as if I poach, I come from further away. So brief, I will do the eye formation to either serve to a spot better, to remove a strong return of serve from someone to have him return to my strength instead of a weakness, to remove the pressure of the receiver's partner. That could be annoying uh, because if he's in front of you when you hit your volley or your ground strokes, he may put too much pressure on you. Thanks, Louis. But that's it. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. And, and so yeah. if you're, I'll reverse it, which is, this is probably a bad question for, you know, for me, but if, if you're uh, a team and you're playing against players who like to just stay back and rip ground strokes, like what, what type of strategies would you use to, uh, to combat those types of players? Okay, so first we have uh, all the British double system. We have a rule. We never volley to the foreign twice in a row. Never. So we reach right away the back end. And if you train, it's going to be second nature. Uh, let's say you, you're at the baseline. Now I serve, I volley, let's say, unfortunately not on your back end, on your foreign. As soon as you're volleyed to me, I'm going to reach your back end or your partner's back end, unless I can finish the point. So we, we build up the point by volleying on the back end, because while the back end, you may be steadier, but normally there's 
<clears throat> less topspin and you know like balls that drops quick so they are easier to volley even if it comes fast it's a bit flatter so we we go there we set up this and uh, then we develop patterns the most common pattern is to volley on the back end of the do side player because then he has no angle and if it's the ball cross court he will lose the point for sure we're gonna volley behind him and if he volley down the line uh, there's also other patterns that the downline player will do. But that's it. In summary, we reach a back end right away, right away in the point. And uh, there's a very specific volley pattern that we do to keep playing on the back end if we're neutralized or to put the ball away quickly if the ball is not too difficult. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Thanks, Louis. I was wondering too, just uh, on the technical side for a bit, I was wondering, you know, I know you've worked with so many great pro players, but it sounds like you have this great uh, advice for also uh, our levels like where we're at. So I was wondering on the technical side, are there any particular technical deficiencies that you see with players that you think that they should focus on uh, fixing in their game? <laughs> All the time. Even at the level that I work, some players they have to work on their serve some on the returns, some, uh, everybody has something to work on. Uh, what is quite common though, beside these issues that are at every level, is the lack of understanding of volleys. So a lot of people come trying to volley just with like if there was only one technique. So bottom line, uh, we can volley uh, with our hand, just like this. And with our hand, we can block, we can touch like drop shot. And we can also punch by squeezing our fingers and the ball could go very, very fast. You can use also your form, either your form like going forward like this for power or keeping your elbow down and going down like to make a little chip and volley short. And you can volley with your full arm, mostly for your shoulder. And that's more frequent on approach volley if you want to stabilize a nice low trajectory and deep. So, and you have to train all these skills when you're on offense, neutral and defense. So the training of the net is, has not been done very, very well most of the time because first, people who play sing, uh, 3.5, 4.0 in singles rarely come to the net. The pros now rarely come to the net or if they come to the net is to finish the point, not to build up the point with their servant volley or coming in. And uh, kids start at such a young age and they develop extreme grips and they they win until 14 by playing back, then they don't change really their game styles. So there's a, not enough uh, net play to learn by yourself. <clears throat> and then you need a coach to accelerate your learning. So what I would recommend is uh, train the volleys when they use the hand close to the net, use their form when the ball is above the net and you want to add pace to it. And at mid court, use your arm like your shoulder to place the volley deep and do these drills when receiving fastball or fireball, like attack with precision or, or power to deal with that and learn to attack also with power, precision, top shot. So there's a full range of skills 
that unfortunately are not developed. And I think uh, there was never an exception where I didn't have to work on their full range of volleys. Great stuff again, Louis, uh, as usual. And and to go along with like uh, the increased usage of your uh, of your body, well, your arm at least. Do you also like as you have more time, tend to have the players like use more of their rotation as well? Uh, yes, but normally it will be like a mid court volley because mid court volley the shot is like sixty feet long, so it's quite long. So you do indeed use your upward body. Uh, you hit on the run a lot. So it's, it's hard for me to demonstrate, but you're on the forehand, your right leg comes in front and your shoulder turns, creating a coral. And then you, you turn your shoulder as you hit the ball you run in. So you, there's a lot of biomechanic, especially at midcourt when you make a approach volley. That's why it, it's tough to master an approach volley. And that's why a lot of people don't serve in volley. But when it's close to the net, you can just do sometimes just this cross court inside out, cross court inside out. You can just move your hand and redirect the ball pretty much where you want. So there's not so much biomechanic very close to the net, but there's quite a lot at midcourt and in the wall position, which is when you're both at the net, not too close, not too far back. Also, sometimes you need some good biomechanic to make an effective ball. Thanks, Louis. And and with the, the grip, I know that everyone says that, you know, continental and so forth, but um, how concerned are you about what grip they're using? And then also, like, how much of a range is, is okay to deviate from that? Well, if, uh, I think it would be better if I have a racket. I'll take a, <laughs> and beside my son here, I'll take his, one of his ruler. So a lot of time we teach people to wait like this. But if the ball comes with, to them, they have like a foreign grip and they cannot defend and they're a bit uh, anxious about that. So when I teach 4.0, I ask them to have the continental grip at the net. So the racket face, I think, is not very good visually. is a bit like this, so they, they have to feel they can protect themselves quickly. So it's a bit like continental and not like straight in where you cannot be continental, it has to be like a foreign grip. So I show them to wait with the continental right away, explaining that they protect their body and reach out, and if they go to the forehand, at least the palm of their hand is behind the racket, so it can sustain any type of impact. Now, regarding the grips, I make the players play a lot with grips. It's tough right now in the video, but if uh, people could understand if I stretch a lot on my backhand volley, I may take a foreign grip to make that. If I stretch a lot on my forehand, I may take a backhand grip. If the ball is high, I'll take a foreign grip. If the ball is low, I'll take a continental grip. So the point is, when you say people need good hand, it means like good hand, good feel, but also the ability to change your grips the way they want. I don't think you can play with one grip at the net. If you have the continental grip and you try to punch down the high back and volley, give me some news on how easy it is. It's not easy at all. And um, same thing on a high foreign. So you have to change sometimes your grip on a high ball, low ball when you stretch, and that's fine. I don't think you should hold your racket very tight and you should be able to, to change it. And uh, the use of the left hand could be quite useful because sometimes you can just turn a tiny bit and the, the grip could change in itself just by positioning the racket with your left hand. But uh, I do work with the grips by telling them that there's not really one grip. I propose a grip to weight. And uh, because when we say, Take Continental because you don't have time to change. Uh, this is baloney. You have time to change. So that, that uh, reason never worked very well for the players. But if you're in defense at midcourt when someone is ready to punch a volley at you, indeed, you don't have time to, to change that much. 
and having a continental grip to to like defend like like a pendulum beside you on the back and forward and a tiny bit on your forehand is much better than trying to change rips and try to save two shots when it's very difficult. So when it's very difficult or when waiting, I propose the continental grip. After that, I propose all the grips according to the situation. So low back end of when more continental to slice, but higher eastern, full stretch, different type of grip. And, uh, and I make them practice to move their racket in their hand and feel very skillful that they can take whatever grip they need. Wow, Louis, this is a fantastic answer. And, uh, you know, like I said, I generally always hear continental and I certainly haven't really heard, I don't know if I've ever heard that, you know, to change uh, grips depending on higher low ball, which, uh, which is so cool to hear. And so I'm really excited to try that uh, soon on my ball machine. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> lucky to have one. But uh, as far as so serving and you talked a little bit about this earlier and when i talked to craig o'shaughnessy he suggested that the best serve in doubles uh, is down the tee because you're likely to get to a uh, right hander who you're playing most of the time right handers backhand and at least on the deuce side of course and then the, the return will go down the middle uh, most of the time so the net person can pick it off and obviously on the even on the ad side you probably get a uh return down the middle again but i was wondering of your perspective obviously on do you think that the serve down the tee is the best serve generally for doubles yeah that's why when we start the, our question answers at the beginning i mentioned that what i would do with most of the 3.5 4.0 is make them serve closer to the middle so they can serve better on the back end better tee and then move to the outside so it is indeed uh, best serve now at the pro level you cannot just have that serve obviously so what we do is more uh, making team moves so if for example I do the eye formation on do side if I serve T or jam back jam foreign the net player will take the cross court because it's tough on a T serve to pull it solid down the line so it's easier to block it cross court and jam foreign also, it's easier to hit the ball cross court than line. Now, if I hit jump back in or wide, the net player will take the down the line because it's tougher for the player in full stretch with cross court and jump back in is difficult with inside out. So it's easier to hit line. So what we do, we we do we call the serve and the move at the net. And if you make good calls, it pays a lot, I tell you. And that's one of the reasons I think we have a lot of success. We, we played a point together and not just alone. But the T-serve is always a good serve. And I would recommend more often players to do eye formation on the deuce side than on the ad side. Because on the ad side, it could be tricky. If you serve on the forehand and you play too much high and you, your second serve goes T and you cannot because your eyes serve wide on the back end on that side, uh, you may pay for it. Because uh, people have a better, big forehand. And even at the 4-0, their forehand is better than their back end. And at the pro level, uh, like for example, Suck has a great backhand, but his forehand is like a, a nightmare. He can tag you at the net, so you would look to avoid that and play more often regular on the outside to be sure you show to the receiver that serving wide is an option. Great stuff, Louis. So uh, I'm sure the answer, you know, is easy for for you. But like for a lot of uh, times, I've seen, especially when you have these uh, doubles leagues where you have like a 
one higher rated player and a lower rated player. You get into a lot of situations where I've seen and even experienced too, where like the, if the one partner's serve is very weak, then the other, you know, the, the returner is going to just destroy the return right at the net player almost all the time because uh, they can't handle the volley. So in that type of case, which is very, uh, very common, uh, what's your advice for us to, to deal with these types of situations? Okay, first of all, like in singles, who do you think has the highest percentage of first serve in, the bigger server or the weaker server? I think the weaker server so they can survive. <laughs> exactly. So they serve like over, those who serve 70% or more in first serve and singles are those without a big serve. So I would recommend the same thing for the doubles player. If you don't have a big serve, please focus, concentrate, and put it either completely jammed right at the server, at the receiver, which he has to move, or on the back end, on the side that they can hit uh, the least properly. And for that, it becomes very important that they don't serve too close to the trendline on deuce, like I mentioned quite often, because it will go for sure on the forehand to serve closer to the middle and then move. And on the outside, they can serve quite close to the trend line to have a very good angle to serve to the back end. So it's tough to run around the back end and do that. Second thing, for the net player, the basic rule is at the sun of the serve to move forward to be closer to the net. In that scenario, you say, when they serve, stay where you are, which means stay like a bit midway between the net and the service line in order to do like the wall to be ready for defense. Do this and you can reinforce a tiny bit more your down the line because if the ball passed beside you, the guy in the back should be able to play at least single on half a court. So you will have to, you could deal with that and maybe do a lob back or hit the ball back. So it's to just accept that you are on defense and when you're in defense, you don't think to poach, you don't take too much territory, you don't try to save the show and you just defend. So we'll make them stay a little bit further back, a little bit closer to the trend line. But that will put more pressure on the server to get the job done, like I just mentioned before. And that's it. And second, I will tell them to go see you to take some lesson on their serve to keep improving <laughs> and not accept that they will serve weak the rest of their life. <laughs> Thanks, Louis. Appreciate that. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Louis Caillé. Some really great stuff on there. And if you want to check out the rest of it, you should definitely go to TennisFilesSummit.com. And to explain a bit about the summit, um, so Tennis Summit 2020 is essentially an online tennis conference where I have over 30 coaches, some of the best that I could find, and they present to you a combination of on-court lessons, point analysis, presentations, and interviews about uh, different topics, you know, pretty much all the different topics that you have told me you need to know about, including strategy, technique, fitness, and the mental game. And so we have some incredible coaches on there, like Louis Caillé, who you just heard from, Paul Anacone, Ian Westerman, Dr. Mark Kovacs, Top Tennis Training, Emma Doyle, uh, we have Day Day K from Racket Flex, we've got Will Hamilton, Jeff Sausenstein, Brady Height, um, who else do we have? We have Greg Lesser from Online Tennis Instruction, we have Gigi Fernandez, 17-time Grand Slam champion, 
Uh, we've just got an amazing lineup of people. Jorge Capistani, who's new to the summit this year, really excited to have him on. Talked to him recently, and he's a, a great guy. Dominic King, John Craig, Brent Abel. <laughs> this isn't a full list. Uh, Faisal Hassan. This isn't a full list, but it's some of the ones that that you'll check out. And then we've also got uh, Nathan Martin from TennisFitness.com. Dean Hollingworth. <laughs> I'm, I'm naming pretty much almost everybody, Dr. Sean Drake. But anyway, I'll stop there, I guess. And so uh, it's just a great event. This is actually the fourth year that I've done it. And we get th- many thousands of people who attend each and every year. And the numbers just only increase increase every single year. And I mean, just to kind of walk you through it, I mean, basically, you go to tennisfilesummit.com, which is T E N N I S F I L E S. S-U-M-M-I-T dot com. You go there, you click the, the registration button, and then you immediately I send you information on, on you know what to expect. And then you also get taken to a page where you have the opportunity to uh, purchase a lifetime access pass to all the sessions if you want to um, be able to, to have access to them as well as some crazy bonuses like trans- transcriptions of every single uh, masterclass and... Uh, audio files so you can listen to them anywhere you want, um, access to my Facebook community. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some things, but uh, also access to, to some downloads and other resources offer less than the price of a tennis lesson. Uh, but obviously, you know, whatever works for you. But uh, even with the free pass, you get to watch every single session and they'll be they'll be up for 48 hours from when they're first published. So let's say if Dr. Kovacs, uh, his serve session goes up on Monday morning, then it'll stay up till Wednesday morning. So hopefully that uh, makes sense for you all. Um, but yeah, if you just go to tennisfilesummit.com, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a huge event that I work on for months every year, just following up, probably sending, you know, four or 500 emails just to follow up with everybody and, and get them on the same page and to organize each of the sessions and, um, so yeah, it's really, really exciting. You know, we obviously break down each broad topic that I mentioned into things, you know, like we've got single strategy and double strategy sessions, and we've got uh, serve technique sessions, forehand, backhand, volleys. Gigi is actually analyzing players submitted volleys, uh, volley clips, which is awesome. And uh, we've got many great sessions on the mental game, teaching you uh, court confidence with Emma Doyle and, for example, and um, how to deal with nerves and, uh, and play your best during the tough moments. And then we've got amazing sessions on tennis-specific fitness. And, yeah, so it's just a lot of great information that I really pretty much pour my heart and soul into every year. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to have you all attend, and um, especially it would be great to have you all in on the live sessions and uh, for you to ask us questions live when we do stream. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool. Just go to, again, I know it's probably like the seventh time I've said it, but tennisfilesummit.com to register for free and watch for free and pick up a lifetime pass if you want to. And I'll have that link in the show notes page. Um, but with that, I just want to leave you in, with a quote as I often like to do it at the end of the show. And this one is once again by Johan... Wolfgang von Goethe, <laughs> and he said, magic is believing in yourself. If you can do that, you can make anything happen. 
really love that quote. And, you know, again, just a message to you all to to please stay healthy and safe and uh, really take this time to work on your relationships with everybody because that's really the most important thing of all, you know, besides you know, money and winning grand slams and all this and that. You know, if you don't have good relationships, then it's really pretty much <laughs> worthless. You know, you're still going to be in uh, not a happy state. So, uh, yeah, just uh, wishing everybody the best. I know it's tough and it's the economic industry is really taking a huge hit, but, you know, I definitely have confidence that, you know, we can pull through um, the human races, uh, you know, the best at adapting to situations and surviving and then thriving once again. So, you know, it's tough. A few days ago, uh, I walked to the tennis court intending to hit on the ball machine and then I see a huge red sign by the courts that says this area close to COVID area is not disinfected yet or something like that which it's been several days now and it's still not disinfected and I don't know how that would even work with a tennis court but uh, especially with you know if somebody goes on there and plays even after it's disinfected then it's theoretically could be reinfected again right so but anyway so I can't really play tennis although I haven't explored all the courts in the area or anything and actually a matter of, as a matter of fact our governor uh, governor Hogan he mandated a I forgot the term like is it like a shutdown order or um, oh yeah he issued a stay-at-home order I, I just cheated and, and googled that <laughs> so I don't even know if that's really allowed uh, I know that we can go out for a little bit of exercise like walking and hiking and running and whatnot um, but suffice to say, I probably won't be playing any tennis unless I, you know, I happen to be driving out and see a court and can confirm that that's even okay to do, but it's very highly unlikely. So pretty much we'll be working on the summit for you all, getting everything ready uh, for April 20th and really excited to see you there. It would really make my week if you attended, probably my year actually. All right. Well, I uh, really enjoy speaking with you all as usual. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Um, shout out to all of you who leave me all these great messages. And uh, also shout out to Steven. I know you're probably listening. You always call me the podcast goat. Such a nice guy. Um, but yeah, anyways, all the best to you all. Stay safe and healthy and keep those relationships going. Use FaceTime or whatsapp if you're a non-apple guy like me for the phone at least <laughs> i do have a macbook anyways take care this is mirbon signing off thanks for listening to the tennis files podcast for more tips to help you improve your tennis game visit tennisfiles.com